You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. Hey, everybody. This is Crystal, Associate Director of Three Rivers Land Trust, and uh, we are back at the podcast studio at Backcountry and Beyond, and I've got Emily here with me. Hey. And we have a very special guest, uh, one of my favorite people, Don Childry. Good morning. <laughs> Don is the author of the Uori Lakes Region Guidebook, uh, Trail Guide for the Uoris. Um, so we're excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I think we'll start out by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et okay. cetera. Um, I grew up in Burlington, not too far away. Um, and, you know, as a Boy Scout, we always went down to the Uwaris to do our backpacking. So I have been familiar with the Uwaris region for, for quite a while. Um, when I got out of college, I, I got a job in Montgomery County and was there for 10 years. And I'm now currently living in Cary, back up in the Triangle. But I still get down here to the Uwaris at least once a month, it seems. Where nice. where'd you live in Montgomery County? Um, I lived on the, the west side near Lake Tillery in the okay. Woodrun cool. subdivision. Was that kind of your first introduction to the URIs moving down that way, or had oh, you been no, familiar no, with no, it? I, probably since I was eight or nine years old coming down with the scouts. Okay, cool. Um, and I didn't realize at the time how new the URI trail was and all the stuff that Joe Moffat was doing, because mm-hmm. I was just eight or nine years old. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's interesting to look back now and realize that, yeah, I was down here when those trails were just a couple of years old. Yeah, that's really cool. Nice. So, uh, next question on my list is, uh, I guess, feeds into your moving to the Uwaris, but how did you decide to write the trail guide for the Uwaris? Well, we had just moved down to Montgomery County, and I guess I was looking for a project, something to do in my free time. And um, I knew there wasn't a good guidebook to the Uwaris, and I knew that for the other places that I've hiked, I, I often pulled together other information besides what I found in guidebooks. I wanted some more elevation information and and different mileage for different routes and things. So I could do that. So I said, well, sure. I, there's, there's a need there, I guess. So let me see if I can put one together. Cool. So about how long did it take you to write the guidebook? About six years. Wow. Um, Of course I was working in my free time and I had, I had a new job then and, and my wife and I were having our kids. And, um, so I had to squeeze it in on weekends mm-hmm. and stuff. And interesting story, um, there was I wanted to include bike trails as well. And mm-hmm. there were only a few places you could bike in the UI National Forest at the time. So um, with some local folks I met, we actually formed a club and got some more trails approved and built. That's cool. To put in the guidebook. Yeah. How do you even like get started creating a guidebook? Like, are you just just take just trying to decide like what you want to include and yeah. That yeah. Kind of- and I tried to include everything that was a legal trail at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of feeds into um, why I did the second edition, because more trails have been added. I think with the first edition, all of the horse trails, the equestrian trails out at the reservation area mm-hmm. were not official trails. But by the time I did the revision in the second edition, those had been recognized. So I was able to include those. And I expanded out from the Uwari National Forest a little bit and picked up some of the trails and areas nearby. Mm-hmm. to kind of cover the whole region nice yeah i've uh used your guidebook at boone's cave and uh, <laughs> yes. quite a few other places yeah. so yeah uh, nice to well, have good. those trails good. 
as well. Yeah, we um, you know, we put it out on our social media asking folks if they had any questions for okay. you. And pretty much all of the comments were, I don't have any questions, but I love this book. I use okay. it all the time. <laughs> and so you've got a little bit of a fan club out that's, there. That's great. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm glad it's helpful. People really enjoy it. And I, the people who didn't have it, I got a lot of comments saying, where do I buy this book? <laughs> I, I tell people a lot of times because they'll ask me specific questions. Well, how far is it from here to here? And it's like, one of the reasons I wrote the book is so I could put all that down and not remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I know where to find it, but I don't keep all that stuff in my head. Yeah, that's I, smart. I imagine, too, that there, the changes in technology from the first book to the second book were pretty substantial. Yes, so I, you want to talk about I, some of the different methodology yeah. you use to come I, up with the information? I, I pushed a bicycle wheel with a, a cycle computer on it for the whole all of the trails for the first edition that is wow. amazing. to get my distances. <laughs> um, by the time I did the second edition, GPS was more available. And that's so why I used GPS then. Yeah. When so, did the first yeah, edition come out? The first one came out in 96. Okay. And uh, the second edition came out in 2014. Okay. Cool. Right after we hiked the right. first through hike. That's right. That's right. <laughs> cool. What, uh, what was the most difficult part of writing a guidebook besides pushing a bicycle wheel? <laughs> That was that was actually not that bad. That was fun. Yeah, anytime you can spend hours and hours in the woods doing something you want to do, that's fun. So that was not hard. The hard part was was perseverance, keeping with it until I got it finished. Six years is a long time to have a project stretch out. And, uh, yeah. All the editing and everything yeah. else, I imagine, yeah. was and, more and time consuming. For some reason, I chose to, to do all of the uh, the page layout myself. Um, for Well, for both of them. Um, but I, you know, I didn't know anything about doing that for the first edition so i ended up having to learn that too and um so i, I did the, yeah. the field work all the writing stuff and the layout page layout stuff and if if you yeah. don't have the book a cool thing about the book it does have elevation data but it also has distance to landmarks so as you're hiking along the trail you know when you cross you know big island creek and etc right. so it's right. very useful um if you're out in the woods trying to figure out exactly <laughs> where you are yeah yeah. yeah, that just seems like a daunting thing to start. Like, I imagine so many people yeah. have the idea of like, wow, it'd be great if I like put all this together. But I feel like it right. takes a very special person to actually do it and know how to get it started. Yeah. That's just so cool. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, one of the things I did before that kind of made me decide to do this book was doing backpacking trips up in the mountains. You know, we would always, our group would come up with some kind of route we wanted to hike. And mm -hmm. none of the guidebooks put together routes for multiple trails they they were mostly focused on here's one trail end to end here's the information mm -hmm. and one of the things i like to do for our trips was to, to say here's the route we want to hike and let me pull together all the elevation information for that specific route so in my guidebook one of the things i did is i covered each trail in detail but i also put together trips that would make sense you know somebody's coming in what they want to do a loop of six or, or seven miles Here's multiple trails that you could do mm. used to make that. And so I put together the elevation information for that particular trip and tried to include the, the most common trips in each area um, so that people wouldn't have to do all that cut and paste work that I used to do with a mm -hmm. Xerox machine and yeah, that's very useful. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the questions we get a lot from people wanting to come on our through hikes is, well, what's the elevation like? And I'm like, well, here's a great place to figure all of that out. Yep. It's really cool. <laughs> one year for the shirt for the through hike, Don uh, designed uh, topographic design under the word you worry that mm -hmm. followed the profile of the you worry yeah. trail. Oh, yeah. that's cool. We should bring that one back. <laughs> That'd be cool. So that was neat. Yeah. 
Um, so a little more region specific. Um, what's your favorite trail or trail section in the Uwaris? Um, I don't really have a favorite trail in the Uwaris. And one of the things that's neat about the area is, you know, it's got such different character in different places. And, and most trails have, you know, they've got some creekside sections. They've got hill climbs. You're coming, going up and down. Um, there's not a lot of places with long distance views, but there are a couple. Um, but just that, that variety is is what makes me not able to pick a single trail because each one of them has a little something different. So that feeds into what do you think makes the Uwari Trail unique compared to other trails? Yeah, it's it's that diversity, um, and because it is sort of mountainous, if you're coming like I do from the you know, the central part of the state where it's pretty flat, this is your first opportunity to get some real hills mm-hmm. to walk up and down, and then just the the diversity of the terrain. Um, there's so much history with all the, you know, the mining pits and things and you know, the old chimneys and stuff in different areas. Um, that makes it really interesting. Ghost, and ghost tales and ghost tales. Mm, yeah. And bootleg yeah. hollows. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and it's pretty easy to get to. Um, it's not like you have to drive four hours to the mountains to, to get mm-hmm. to a, a, a nice hill that'll make you sweat. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's, there's in this area, it's kind of a, an unknown area. So there's a high chance you'll have some solitude Yeah, if you want that. Nature without the crowd. Right, right. <laughs> nice. So, um, since you sort of skirted that question, <laughs> my next question is, what's your favorite trail anywhere? The next trail. <laughs> <laughs> the next I'm, one you go on. I'm going to take the optimistic view that the best is yet to come. That gives me okay. something to look forward to and be excited about when anytime I go on another hike. Yeah, your- or you could also say, whatever trail I'm on. Well, that too. Yeah. yeah. Do you have Do you have your next one planned yet? I don't. Not at this moment. This is kind of a slow time of the year. Yeah. So. Do you have like a bucket list of where you want to go that you haven't been yet? I don't. Okay. But I have done enough traveling to know there's a lot of stuff out there. So yeah. Um, you just have to get up off the couch and go. And yeah. I, I have yet to take a hike that I regretted. So right. So I like that. Sometimes it's hard to wake up and actually get out there, but it usually is, when you is. do, you're glad you did. We yeah, should put absolutely. that on a t-shirt. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, what's your favorite all-time outdoor adventure you've taken anywhere? That's a tough one too. Um, I've I've been blessed with the opportunity to do a lot of big adventures. Um, I've done some climbing, snow and ice to the top of Mount Rainier. I canoed for 12 days down a river in Alaska. I've been kayaking in the Bahamas. I've biked across North Carolina a long ways, backpacked in Yosemite, um, scrambling 14 years in Colorado. And even in the last five or six years, I've driven to California and back four times and just stopped wow. and mountain biked along the way. Um, all that's fun. But, you know, I've also had some really fantastic overnights and weekends right here in North Carolina. So, um, yeah, again, this is sort of the you know, the next one coming might be better than all the last ones. <laughs> Tell me about Alaska. Alaska was fun. It took us like two and a half days to fly up there. Yeah. The planes got smaller and smaller and more expensive. <laughs> that was the, the scariest part about when I went is when you got in that little like eight seater plane and right. I was like, I don't know if I want to get in this. <laughs> yeah, our, our last one was actually a float plane. We had to land on a little pond. Wow. And then carry our stuff about 300 yards over to the river. And the guides that we were renting the boats from said, um, okay, 12 days from now, we'll pick you up 300 miles down this river. Wow. That, that was before GPS. So we had to do all our navigation with paper maps. And you know, Wow. We, You're not going to get lost on a river, though. No. Generally speaking. No. 
And I, I suppose they could find us fairly easy because they're in an airplane, but still then, a little daunting. Yeah, we um, I guess it was on about the the tenth day, two days or so before we were getting picked up. We had come out of the mountains. We were on the Noatak River in the Brooks Range. We'd come out of the mountains into this flat plain area, and you really couldn't see. There were no landmarks to see, no big hills. And there was one little hill that was maybe 30 feet high beside the river, and we almost passed by it um, to go further down. But at the last second, somebody said, well, let's just climb up this little hill and see what we can see. We did, and from that viewpoint, we could identify the pond we were supposed to meet the plane at to get out of there. Okay. And it was like right beside us. We would have gone a few miles down river. Oh, we gosh. Out there, and who knows how long we would have gone before we realized we were right. nowhere oh my we were gosh. supposed to be. So well, we very lucky. That, what time of year was it? Um, that was in August. Okay. So the um, weather was pretty nice then. Well, but still chilly, I'm sure. It was chilly. I, th- I think our high we saw was like 45. Yeah. Um, but we only had frost two nights. Okay. So it was it was cool. But you know, it rained a lot too, so that. Yeah, hopefully it, was, it kept some of the bugs down. I've heard bugs oh like no. peak summer can be rough. Those those alaskitos don't yeah. fly when it's raining, <laughs> but when it stops raining, they come out by the billions. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. Yeah, they're slow to bite. Not like the ones here that land teeth first. <laughs> They'll land and walk around up there before they they get you. But it was cool enough. We were covered up mostly, so yeah, it wasn't too bad. That sounds so fun. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, we were north of Treeline, and so the the little blueberry bushes were like three inches tall and like <laughs> four leaves and a berry. And, and they were they were ripe then, and the leaves were starting to turn colors. So it was it was really neat to – completely different terrain than anything here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, That's that awesome. So cool. And uh, I wanted to touch on something you said there about North Carolina. Um, I went to the Outer Banks for the first time two years ago. And uh, one of my good friends sent me a, an image that said, uh, I'm from North Carolina where we take many vacations to other parts of North Carolina. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so we do have a big state with a lot of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so my next question was, what's your favorite state park in North Carolina? Um, I don't know about favorite, but I definitely spend a lot of time in Umstead because it's within biking distance of where I live. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, as I go around doing bike rides around the areas, I often find myself going through that part because it's got nice gravel paths with no traffic on them mm-hmm. that bikes can use. And it's got hiking trails there, and there's mountain bike trails in the county park right next to it. Um, yeah. Plus, there's a restaurant right across the street that's got really good hamburgers. So. Yeah. We did a lot there of class go. field trips there when I was at mm-hmm. NC State, and we did one hike there where there was a barred owl who just sat over top of us on a limb for, I don't know, 30 minutes we yeah. just sat there watching each other and i was like this is fantastic right so nice right. and that was our like covid trip too mm-hmm. we'd go get takeout and then go drive through umstead and like park somewhere yeah. <laughs> and eat our dinner just because we needed to change the scenery yeah. it's, it's a nice little bit of, of forest kind of in the middle of that metropolis yeah so. absolutely so, yeah nice and i have not been to all of the state parks in north carolina yet so that is a bucket list thing to, to do someday okay. is to try to visit them all. Which ones are left on your list? I, I'm I'm not far enough along to okay. have that count gotcha. memorized yet. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break from the show to talk about one of our sponsors, Backcountry and Beyond. You can visit Backcountry and Beyond at 322 South Main Street in Salisbury, North Carolina. They've got a lot of awesome things right now. They've got a new restock of the Meat Church Seasonings. Um, They've got their Traeger grills that everybody knows and loves. And if you get your grill from Backcountry and Beyond, 
they have a free setup assembly and delivery to Salisbury, North Carolina and the surrounding areas. So you can get hooked up with a nice grill and you can get those seasonings while you're there too. Also, they've got that new Nordic collection from Yeti. It's highly sought after and they've got it in stock. So be sure to pop on down there and get all of your outdoor needs. Or if you can't make it down to Salisbury, you can shop online at www.backcountryandbeyond.com. The team at Montgomery Community College in Troy invite you to get to know their forestry management technology program. For decades, MCC has been helping forestry students explore this exciting, high-demand career option. MCC is located on the edge of the Uwari National Forest in the Uwari Mountains. The campus is situated on approximately 150 acres of timberland that is managed by the college's forestry program. Forestry is considered one of MCC's specialty programs, with other options including gunsmithing, hunting and shooting sports management, taxidermy, and pottery. Visit montgomery.edu to see course descriptions and explore the exciting world of forestry for yourself. Yeah, I think every year, too. I try to go to at least a couple new ones every year, mm-hmm. and uh, there are last year, Medoc Mountain. I had never been there, so that was right. a good trip to make, and uh, I'm hoping to get out to Goose Creek this mm-hmm. year. Um, another place I haven't been, right. but Where's I hear that? is really pretty down at the coast. No, okay, we have not been. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, that is a nice thing about North Carolina, especially being here in the Piedmont. It's not that far to the coast. It's not right. that far to the mm-hmm. mountains until you're driving it. You can do it in a day trip <laughs> you if do, you push it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, driving out there is not too bad. The drive home always seems to <laughs> right. take forever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, going a little bit broader, do you have a favorite national forest? The Uwari National Forest, of course. All right. Good answer. Good. Perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> How about National Park? Um, I'm still working on visiting all of those, <clears throat> so I may not have found the best one yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. What about, um, I know, not just a hiker, you're a mountain biker, so do you have a favorite mountain bike trail? Um, I've done some some riding the last three or four years. I have a friend who bought a place in Colorado. We've been doing a couple weeks in the summer out there. And there are some really nice trails <clears throat> out there because you get the views from the top of the Rockies. Um, and you get on those downhill sections that just go for miles and miles and miles. That's pretty nice to just let gravity pull you along. And, nice. I mean, getting up to the top is a lot of work. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> you forget that once you start flying downhill. So. <laughs> I really enjoyed riding out there. We just, in North Carolina, we have some longer downhill stuff up in the mountains. Um, but Uwari's is more of that gentle, rolling, moderate mm-hmm. terrain. That always seems so daunting to me. I just, yeah, I like my collarbones too much yeah. to do much of right. that. <laughs> but I did. Um, I took a guided trip by REI last year, last December, to do a little mm-hmm. mountain biking in DuPont. Right. And I've heard that, so I did my first backpacking trip at Grandfather, and I heard okay. that that's kind of the equivalent of doing your first mountain biking trip at DuPont. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of uphill. Right, right. <laughs> I can uh, definitely admit to getting off the bike and pushing well, <laughs> a few times. I've, I've been mountain biking since college, and I still do that occasionally, so that's, <laughs> right. there's nothing wrong with that. That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and it can be a little daunting, but... You know, if you've done it for a number of years, like I have, there's there's a little bit of thrill to it. And I have friends now who are starting to buy into the e-bike thing, where they get that little motor assist to, mm-hmm. to help them go along. Mm-hmm. And 
um, I've, I've yet to do that. I'm going to try to put that off as long as I can. The, uh, the other thing that was really surprising to me was the different muscles that you use yes. when you're doing mountain biking. Yes. I mean, I was sore in places <laughs> I'm not sure I'd been sore before. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, that's a, an added challenge. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's true even between mountain biking and, and road biking. Um, it's, it's all a different set of muscles. So, yeah, it's, it's good to try to use all of them on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. Well, um, going into another outdoor hobby, what's your favorite backpacking trip? Again, it would have to be the Uori Trail through hike. All right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's not like your typical backpacking trip. That's um, that's Supported. more like <laughs> that's more like a friends reunion for four days with a little bit of hiking thrown in. <laughs> I remember you saying one time that you don't often hike with your seventy-five close personal friends, but when right. you do, it's the Uori Trail yeah, through hike. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if you're not friends with those people when you start, by the time you finish, you should be. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, of all these different outdoor activities, can you pick a favorite? No, I, I enjoy doing all of it. Like, like I say, the variety is good for you too. If you just do one thing all the time. You get one set of muscles that's really developed and the rest of them are not. <laughs> and so speaking about the URH Health Through Hike, so the URH Health Through Hike started, I had an intern um, from Duke University through the Stand Back Internship Program, and she and I, her original task was to do an audio tour of the URH Trail, um, which was to create QR codes along different stops at the trail that would tell you what you're looking at. Uh, like we said before, there's some unique features of the Uori Trail, gold mines, uh, rare plant communities, things like that. So you could get a little two-minute spiel about what you're seeing. Um, she did not have the technical expertise to do that. Um, we did write the script for that, and a Boy Scout later <laughs> did the work for that, and there it does exist. Um, but when she was here, um, she ended up showing me a video she had done of an outdoor experience she had in Peru climbing a 17,000 foot mountain and she did a video of it and it was awesome. And so I said, well, how about we do a through hike of the Holy Worry Trail and do a video of it? And I said, I bet Don will go with us. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always wondered, Don, why did you agree to go with us in July to hike the, the full 40 mile you worry trail? Looking back, that is a good question. <laughs> I, you know, I said yes because it won. It, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't all established trail. There was going to be some exploring involved with it, and I enjoyed that that aspect of poking around in the URs. Um, I knew it would probably be fun and you know a little bit challenging, maybe, um, and you know a little bit of an adventure. And I was not wrong. <laughs> it was. It was all of those things. So. And we, we learned definitely that uh, July is not the month to do that. <laughs> Hens fight is now in April and October. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember Don had a spider stick that like had so many spiders on it, they were starting to like eat each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember towards the end of that trip, um, I think we might have been stopped at uh, Jumping Off Rock. And I was sitting there and, you know, we were covered in sweat and, dirt and everything and I remember one of the mosquitoes kind of landed on my leg and was only there for a second and it jumped up and landed on the leather of my boot and decided that was better than, <laughs> uh, than the leg. <laughs> oh that's funny I like that. How many people 
were with you on that first trip. So only me, Rebecca, and Dawn hiked the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but we had probably 30 or so people over the course of the four days that joined mm-hmm. us for various okay. sections. Yeah. Um, we had uh, Dave Gardner actually did 30 miles. He started yeah. with us on the second yeah. day, along with um, one of Rebecca's friends right. from Durham, um, did the full 30 miles. Um, but yeah, it was... It was not a huge group, um, but it was a lot of fun. It was. It was. And definitely that first day when we were trying to find our way through and didn't have trail to follow, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that just adds a whole another layer to it. Another thing I really remember is that um, this was before the Walker's Creek section was mm-hmm. built. And so we hiked from Dewey Luther's trailhead and right. we actually hiked the trail. Even the spur trail there was not there. Right. And so we hiked along this old woods road. And when I hiked it, when I scouted it in the winter, it was fine. And when we went to hike it in July, there were blackberries everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> so my legs and the were thorn, like, the thorns that accompany them. Yes. yes. My, my, my legs were so scratched up when oh, we finally man. made it to jumping off rock. Yikes. Because <laughs> I went in front. I was like trying to push everything down so nobody yeah. else oh, had yeah. to <laughs> that's when you like wish you had a machete or something to carve yourself yeah. a path yeah so um so my next question was what was the most memorable aspect of that trip i think you said certainly the heat and the humidity <laughs> <laughs> and scouting new sections yes yes yeah. it was definitely fun um, yeah. Would I do that again? Maybe not exactly like that, but yeah. would I turn down an opportunity for an adventure? No. No. Never. Yeah. I love to watch that video. We <laughs> we like to show it to new people when they start, and it's always fun yeah. to rewatch it. Yeah, so that was what happened. We never really intended it to be an event that we would host mm-hmm. once, much less twice a year, right. um, but she posted that video on YouTube, and everybody said, when are you doing this again? I want to yeah. come. Yeah. And so we started doing it. And this spring will be number 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So pretty cool. Yeah, especially how much it's grown over the years. I think we had just under 100 folks last fall. Right. And yeah. so it's yeah very cool to see that first video and then look at what it is now with dinner every night and all the accompaniments that come yeah. along with yeah. it. Yeah, that was the other thing that was really cool about it. Even from the first time, we had people that said, oh, gosh, I can't hike 40 miles with you, but I can bring you beer and brownies. So we were like, hey, sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, it's really a four day party in the woods. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Uh, This was Kyle's question. Do you have an interesting encounter in the worries, odd, frightening or unusual that you are willing to share? I don't have an encounter. I have a non-encounter. I have never run across a rattlesnake on the trails or off the trails when I've been bushwhacking in the Uwaris. <laughs> I know they're everywhere, but I have never encountered one. They've wow. probably seen you. You they just probably haven't hear my seen big them. feet coming. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the snakes you don't see that you need to worry right, about. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so another question we got were plane crash sites in the Birdcats, and I don't know much of anything about this. Shout okay. out Charles Cranford. This was his question. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I know there was at least one in 1971, a small plane crashed on, um, near Cooler's Knob in the Burkheads. Um, I've done a little bit of research into that, and I've actually been out there with uh, Jim Plant and I and Mike Chisholm, who was one of the guys that worked with Joe Moffitt, you know, getting all these trails established and everything. We went back out there 
three or four years ago and tried to locate the site. Um, Mike at the time was working with the Forest Service and he was involved with um, bringing in the salvage crews that took the plane back out. So he should have known exactly where it was. And apparently they did a good enough job. There's no debris at the actual crash site. And he was unable to pinpoint, you know, this is the spot where it, it, um, where it crashed. Um, there is some or are some parts of the plane that have been moved to other areas, I think maybe even off of Forest Service property that are still on the mountain. And I know a couple of people have posted things saying, here's the crash site, but that's not the actual crash site. That, that's the debris now is down near the bottom of the mountain, and the actual crash site was pretty close to the ridge top. I know Mike told us that the, uh, the salvage crew brought in a truck, and they were able to lower a cable down the hill and grab the plane and drag it to the top. So it was close enough to the top they could reach mm-hmm. it with a cable from a tow truck and, and pull it out of there. And is it one that was headed to the airport and just went down? or? There's a lot of question about that. This guy mm-hmm. was flying from Myrtle Beach back to Winston-Salem, okay. and it was a really fogged-in day with you know, almost zero visibility. Um, there, there's a lot of, of guessing that he was trying to land at the airport there, because mm-hmm. um, he was kind of in the approach path, and if you draw that line on the map, where he crashed was in that line. He, mm-hmm. just, um, he just, I guess, couldn't see the mountain um, or wasn't expecting it to be sticking up like that. So, because yeah. um, it is an unusual geographic feature in this part of the state. Um, yeah, New Year's Day we hiked to the top of Cooler's Knob, and Charles Cranford was there, and he was, please ask Don this. <laughs> we told yeah, him we were yeah. trying to get you on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there are any other plane crashes. I, that's the one I've, I know the most about. Okay, cool. Um, the next question is about Joe Moffat's camps. I know uh, in your new edition of the book, you have pictures of a lot of the old signs that uh, right. that Joe made that identify the camps, but wondering how many of those there were and if right. you've been to all of them. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things I did with my guidebooks is because so, some of those signs have disappeared. Um, I tried to take pictures of those and record that information somewhere. So I put it in the book. So mm-hmm. th- it's a trail guide, but it's also got some history stuff in it because you can't find that information anywhere else in a history book. Um, I believe from what I've seen, one of Joe's maps that were, I've seen as many as, uh, or as high a number as seven, camp 17 marked on the map. Um, we know that there are some that are, are numbered or labeled like 1B and 8B, so there may be more than 17. Unfortunately, a lot of those never had a permanent fireplace built um, or a sign put up, so it's mm-hmm. really hard to know um, exactly how many they were. And I don't know if, if those were created or used specifically for certain of the 50-mile hikes that they were doing. Um, and I don't think there was ever a, a, an organized effort to get camps built, I think, different Boy Scout troops just decided to go and say, hey, let's go put a new camp here and build a fire ring for it. And um, I guess a lot of the signs that did get put up, Joe made. Um, yeah, he told me they were the bottom of old um, pie plates or something like that right. um, that he cut out right. and, and marked and uh, had the yeah. opportunity to, to meet Joe and, and do some recording with him um, of information about the trail. And I also remember him saying that in a lot of those places, he drove his old Jeep in right, to actually right. build those. They did not haul in all of that <laughs> rock and sure, mortar. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, and another cool thing is when we bought King Mountain is when I found Camp 7. Um, somebody else okay. might have known about it, but 
I was out there. Uh, we ended up selling half of that track to the Forest Service and half of it to the Wildlife Commission. And I wanted to make sure that the old trail was on the part the Forest Service got. Right. Um, and got to the northern boundary of that track and walked over onto the Forest Service a little bit. And there was that camp. And so I actually moved the line to right. make sure that I took in enough of the property that you could walk yeah. easily to that camp. Um, and it's an interesting one. They call it Twin Springs. Mm-hmm. And it also has something on there that's an, a memorial to a fallen comrade. Right. And it says, beware the doom of Eden, uh, snake country. Right. So right. Um, I guess there have been, there've been rattlesnakes in the Uaris for a while. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. And interestingly enough, that Camp 7, um, the map that I was talking about that shows Camp 17, um, did not show Camp 7 hmm. at all. Um, it, Interesting. It had you know, six and, and eight numbered on it, but it, it left seven out for and some I, reason. And I know too, somebody had mislabeled camp seven as being in the Burkheads at one time because Deborah Walker texted me one evening. She's the, was the mm-hmm. ranger on the force for a number of years. She texted me at like midnight one night and said, where in the Burkheads is camp seven. And I texted her back and I was like, camp seven is not in the Burkheads. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever is there is very lost. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think a lot of the uh, the camps that were numbered on his map down in the southern part are probably well-used camping areas along the creeks now. They just never had a fireplace built or a sign put up for them. Um, that makes sense. So another question we got on uh, Facebook was, do you have information about when a Uwari area hiking map will be created? Um, I do not have much information. I have reached out to Jared Bird. I believe he is working on something that, but I, I did not get a response back yet. Um, yeah, I think um, they had their, the Warrior Trailblazers had their annual meeting right. uh, back in a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, I think they gave an update there. Karen was mm. telling me about that, that they were, they were working right. on it, but I don't know how soon they're going to be available. Right, right. Stay tuned for that. We'll share it when we hear about it. (laughs) Nice. Um, Another thing was, if people have your book and want you to sign it, are there any upcoming opportunities that they could do so? If they can find me, I will sign it happily. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's no um, planned events yet, but I'm sure as spring gets closer we'll get some more events put on the calendar and i'll I usually try to lead some hikes for the the ur the discover uri welcome center and um anytime i'm out here doing stuff i'll have copies with me and and a pen so i'm happy to sign books if people already have them nice um and where's the best place for people to purchase your book um if you want a signed copy ordering from my website donchildry.com is is the only place to order a signed one um, i know they carry copies at the uh, Discover URI Welcome Center, um, the Eldorado Outpost has copies locally. Um, there are some other bookstores and outdoor stores. REI, I believe, carries them in their stores. Um, I'm not sure exactly how widely it's distributed in other bookstores, but um, there are places. And you can order it off Amazon if you want to. I highly recommend ordering from my website. <laughs> Plus, you get a signed copy that way. So There you go. Nice. Um, another thing to note about the new guidebook is that we were still working on that Walker's Creek section when that guidebook came out, and Don right. has created an insert um, that you can get from him for that section. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I have a link to that on my website. You can just download. It's like a four or five page 
thing you can print out and just stick in your your copy of the guidebook. Cool. And we've got one section left to go, so right. that will be we'll... that will be a good reason to do a third edition. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I could probably start working on updating the other trails while we wait for that, because that might take five or six might years before we <laughs> yeah. get that one. That might be the end. I mean, I'd do another one after that. We'll see. Yeah, well, I don't know. I've got a, a, a farmer that I'm working with who's got some land north of the airport that wants to take it up that way. Okay. So you never know. You never know. Never say never. That's right. <laughs> don't, don't give Crystal a challenge. <laughs> Nice. There is a question I have with, you know, the guidebook, though. Um, back when I did that in the 90s, the first time, you know, guidebooks, that was how you would get a lot of your information for trails. But, you know, this new digital age with apps on phones and stuff. Um, and, you know, as a, as a trail user, I make heavy use of those phone apps that can give me a map and put my little blue dot that says this is where you are which is a very helpful piece of information you can't get from a paper guidebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another cool benefit of coming and joining us for the Way Through Hike is that Don prepared some nice maps that you can use in Avenza that we email to you if you join right. us for a through hike. Right. So, and you might even run into Don himself yeah. on a Saturday <laughs> night. Uh, yes. Yeah. Good chance to get your books on. Right, right. But only if you hike it the whole time. <laughs> All right. Well, we're kind of getting close to the end of my questions. Um, the last thing that I wanted to know is why do you support Three Rivers Land Trust? The Land Trust supports the places and activities I enjoy, so why not? Good answer. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> Wait, I want to know how the two of y'all met. I don't think I've heard this. I know you came on the first through hike, but did you know each other before we then? We did, or? yeah. Um, I don't remember when we first met. Yeah. <laughs> you just <laughs> ran into each other in the URIs probably. I'm, do you remember, Crystal, there was a, a little conference held at uh, Moore Mountain State Park, the Monadnock Conference or something was the, the name they put on it. I do not remember I that. I think that's where I first Is met you. Is that the you. first one? Okay. I think so. All right. That, that was early 90s. That's a maybe? better memory no. than I have. I, I, don't, I don't remember when that <laughs> was. Okay, cool. But I, I think that may have been okay. the first time I met you. All right. Well, nice. <laughs> we've known each other a while. It and has we've been, been through some adventures together. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully more to come. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So if this kind of got you interested in the Yuvaris, registration by the time this episode comes out will be open for the spring and fall through hikes. So feel free to register to join us for that or shoot me an email if you want to join but have some questions. And we look forward to seeing folks out and in the URIs. Always looking for trail angels. Yeah. So if, you, if you don't want to hike, but you want to come help, we'll absolutely. be glad to put you to work. Absolutely. So thanks, Don, for coming out and, and thank uh, you for inviting and me. humoring us, answering a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you as always. And thank you. Uh, we'll catch you all on the next one. Yep. Thanks. If you like the show and would like the episodes to keep coming, You should know that our podcast is just one of the tools that we use at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose is to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife and to ensure wildlife populations have habitat forever here in North Carolina. This podcast is just a byproduct to further that mission. You can visit our website at trlt.org 
to join us in this conservation mission.